0: No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: He
2: successfully organised and staged one of the biggest sporting events in the UK in recent history. Glasgow 2014. It helped put his now adopted home of Scotland back on the sporting map. And it was delivered on time and all done under budget. Now former American wrestler... And current Chief Executive of the Commonwealth Games Federation, David Grevenberg, has an even bigger fight on his hands, ensuring his organisation has a future. I'm Michael. And I'm John,
0: and this is Great British Bosses from Anything But Footy, the podcast where we speak to the key people behind the scenes of sport in this country. And you could say Glasgow 2014 has a lot to answer for as not only was it a brilliant occasion from Usain Bolt on the track to Kylie Minogue at the closing ceremony, it brought Michael and I together to finally start this podcast. Working for rival radio stations, TalkSport and LBC, we got along, we teamed up and have now covered all the major events since like the Olympics, Paralympics, the Rugby World Cup, Wimbledon, London Marathon and the
1: Tour de Yorkshire. I'm David Grevenberg, the Chief Executive Officer of the Commonwealth Games Federation.
2: David, thank you very much for accepting the invitation to speak to great British bosses from anything but footy. At the time of recording, the Birmingham 2022 organising committee have said there will be no athletes' village as planned in Perry Bar. And the host, potential host for 2026, Hamilton, said they might want a bit more time to sort things out. And that's all happened in the last few days. So, first question for you How are you? How's your week been?
1: It's been a busy week, <laughs> started off uh, on Monday with, uh, yeah, with uh, an exciting six hour uh, just uh, consultation and, and presentation to the Hamilton City Council, uh, which uh, really was uh, an opportunity to enroll the City Council in the concept of a Games for both recovery uh, and accelerating regeneration um, on the back of uh, the recovery efforts. Um, and so, and really just trying to to, uh, embed a real sense of uh, understanding that this is more than just uh, 11 days of great sporting competition. And then of course, we moved on later in the week uh, to our our announcement um, of a necessary uh, decision to uh, basically uh, create clusters of uh, accommodation sites, which will be mini villages um, across the West Midlands. Um, Whilst the regeneration scheme, in the Perry Bar area of Birmingham will still be built um, because of COVID um, and because of some of the market challenges. Uh, It it was uh, more prudent and more responsible uh, that uh, we looked at uh, alternative accommodation. But again, it's a regeneration program that wouldn't be there um, if the games hadn't come to to Birmingham. And, And so we're happy to see that it will still serve its purpose with the local residents for the long term.
2: So two challenges, two big challenges for you this week. Birmingham though have, have come up with a solution and it's similar to the one that Manchester had in 2002 which is the use of things like university accommodation. So is the Hamilton question, if you like, bothering you more right now?
1: Uh, you know, I think it's, it's a process, you know, and, and there's understandable anxiety Uh, in the world right now. Um, And there's apprehension around major sporting events. Uh, We released earlier uh, this uh, summer uh, a report that actually goes back to Manchester and covers the success uh, and outlines a clear return on investment um, of the past several games, uh, really looking at what we call our value framework. Um, both the economic and the social value of hosting the games um, over a number of cycles and a number of different markets, so we're very confident with the approach that we're taking, the lessons that we've learned, and our unique value proposition um, and that continues to refine itself uh, in these kind of weird and wonderful times of very, very uh, you know different social discourse um, as well as you know something that has, uh, I think, uh, affected everyone uh, around the world, certainly around the Commonwealth um, and with the COVID-19 pandemic.
0: We'd like to talk to you about your career, David, as we progress in this podcast. And you used to sure. work for the International Paralympic Committee. So I wonder, just on Hamilton and talking about you know, the fears, are you glad in some ways that it was the olympic the year that the the pandemic happened that actually you can watch and learn and see how these multi-sport events like the olympics and paralympics will deal with this before say birmingham comes along and hopefully you'll be able to reassure hamilton
1: well it's it's great to have test test events before you <laughs> in, in many respects um and you know I, you know i i don't envy but really, respect the work that both the IOC and the IPC are doing uh, to uh, really push things, uh, you know, in the right direction and continue to deliver sport. Uh, it's by, by no uh, sense of the imagination an easy feat. Uh, you know, certainly just uh, you know just upholding the ambitions of the new norm and how those are impacted. Um, you know, for better or for worse by uh, the, the pandemic. I think uh, there's probably three things I've noticed that have come uh, to, to my immediate attention that I think are impacting the world of sport. And you know, to answer your question, I'm, I am, I'm, I'm definitely happy that we have uh, you know, a, a bit more time to, to, to really figure out what is going to allow us to exercise our duty of care in terms of safety and ultimately you know, deliver a positive experience for the athletes that, that still has that long-term legacy, uh, you know, contribution that uh, is so important to, to, to these events. Um, but what I've really noticed is that, you know, people uh, are, are, are now having to cooperate differently. The public, private, and third sectors are working differently. Um, lots of innovation is now coming to the forefront on how we use the digital form and digital platforms to enhance the experience, protect the experience. Um, and uh, I also think that, you know, we'll certainly see how operationally that's going to play out in venues and so forth. And I think finally, the, the, the other aspect, I think there is an inevitable uh, consolidation that is going to occur. So you're going to start to see, a fewer days, potentially fewer athletes in, in these major sporting events and fewer sports just by the the, the nature of their complexity. But you'll also see uh, the opportunity for co-hosting arrangements and other, other uh, you know, other uh, different models or styles of, of hosting these events. So it's going to be uh, interesting, but I, I really do wish both the IOC and the IPC uh, much luck uh, over the next uh, few months uh, as a they lock down their plans and and work through the the various scenario planning.
0: When you've had your Zoom calls, David, with your pals from the IOC and the IPC one evening over a a gin and tonic or a beer, have they, (laughs) have they said to you, we really don't think this is going to happen next year? Or are they going with the only way we can put this on, as you've kind of hinted there "is, is to change it so dramatically with no say, for example, behind closed doors?
1: Yeah, I think it's, it's you know, th- th- there's various scenarios. And I think it really is one of those moments that's just in time. So we're, we're, they're, they're not rushing to make a, a, a early certain decision. They're making decisions just in time because it gives them as much time uh, as possible to exhaust all options, and and you know, so I think they're trying to create scenarios where, you know, they can make this as positive, um, as possible of an experience, um, with with obviously uh, with respecting and protecting people but uh, not lose the the wonderful promotion and empowerment that the the Games provides as well. So it is, you know, but they've, you know, for the the conversations I've had with uh, many people in the Olympic movement that are much closer to the operations in in Tokyo, uh, they're they're delighted uh, with uh, the decision to continue pushing towards the Games, but very, very, uh, you know, not complacent at all, in terms of um, ensuring that every stone is, uh, you know, uh, turned upside down, um, but there is a, a sense of optimism and, and hope, uh, which is uh, you know, which I think is is ne- is necessary if uh, you're going to continue to to push push these things forward. But I do think it it does also, um, you know, to those three points I mentioned earlier. You know, I really do think this uh, entire experience is going to make all of us look at things much differently for the future.
2: Listening to those comments and you saying then the way that events have unfolded over the past few months are going to change things. Do you feel then that this, this arms race, if you like, that cities engage in to host an Olympic Games, a Paralympics or indeed a Commonwealth Games in the way that Birmingham is going to have a, a sort of satellite event in India with archery and shooting? Is that perhaps the model if Hamilton turned around to you and say, actually, 2026 isn't for us? Could we see a Commonwealth Games maybe taking place in a number of cities or a number of regions around the world?
1: You know, I, I, I've, I've said it a few times uh, that I think we're at a point where nothing should be off the table. Um, I think we need to look at, you know, how do we continue to add value and generate uh, value for the people we represent and serve? And you know, it's been you know, since 1960, I think it was uh, the the, the um, or the 60s rather, you know, that we had our our, our uh, only Commonwealth Games in the Caribbean. Um, but you know, because just the geography um, uh, is is challenging, um, and and obviously uh, the environment is, is is challenging. How do we? with hurricanes and so forth. And uh, how, do we, how do we actually make a Commonwealth Games or Commonwealth sport opportunities available in the Caribbean if we're not willing to be flexible um, with our current model? And so I, I do think we could start to take, uh, you know, start to take um, looks uh, at you know, different, all types of different models. The biggest barrier to entry with most of these events um, right now uh, is the, the concept of the village and so that is one of the, one of the areas that we're, we're, we're looking at, and, and obviously the Birmingham situation gives us a, a great opportunity to, to come up with some uh, agile and workable uh, solutions when it comes to a multi-site village concepts. Um, but uh, you know many, many villages, unless there is a need for new uh, private housing or social housing or a combination of the two in a particular municipality or urban setting, it's very it's very difficult uh, to justify that build uh, without uh, you, you know really challenging the, the the real estate market. So these are all the considerations, and but but I think the biggest one is how do we generate not only economic value but social value um, for the for the you know the public private and third sector investment that goes into these these major sporting events. Was the that- There are danger
2: then potentially with the Commonwealth Games that you could just have got to the point where you're essentially flip-flopping between Australia, where there's maybe half a dozen cities that could potentially step up, and the United Kingdom, where there's a kind of similar amount of cities that could step up. And actually, what you're talking about here is a spread of events so that one city hasn't got to build a dozen sporting venues, a village, a press centre, a broadcast centre, which might just be too much. There's not many cities in the Commonwealth, I, I guess, that
1: can do that. Yeah, I mean, the Commonwealth, I mean, on one side has, uh, you know, some very interesting geography. We have, of the top 20 emerging cities in the world, half of them, 10 of them are in the Commonwealth. So, you know, this is this is something, um, it's, you know, urban uh, sustainability, smart cities is something that is uh, happening um, all over. But, the biggest challenge we need to, to really overcome is making sure that, you know, when we deliver a world-class event, that the, the, the facilities are world-class for that event or when it's necessary for them to be world-class, but also community-relevant, not just in terms of, uh, you know, design, but also uh, programming. And the need for multi-sport, multi-purpose, multi-functional facilities in a number of uh, cities and countries is becoming more commonplace, and so you know these are things in terms of uh, you know future planning of games, which what sports are on the program, you know um, what what countries are best at hosting which sports, uh, you know velodromes, you know the the, the fact that the UCI does not have a certified velodrome in Africa, you know we have one velodrome. Uh, in, uh, in the Caribbean, in Trinidad and Tobago, which is, you know, world-class uh, to, to the nth degree. You know, those are, these are challenges, you know, and uh, we're not saying, and I know the UCI is not saying everyone should build a velodrome unless there's a, <laughs> unless there's a good business plan. So these are, these are challenges. We need to look at sports and look at the, the, the formats and the styles and, and really work, work through in terms of our evolution of our sports program as well.
0: David, one more question on, on Hamilton and then we, we will look back and, and, and talk about you in, in a bit more detail. But for people that don't know, Hamilton was looking to stage the 2030 Commonwealth Games because it was 100 years, the anniversary edition of the Commonwealth Games, the uh, Empire Games as they were then in those days. The team that are organising in Hamilton have said this week that they haven't quite yet confirmed how much taxpayers' money will be needed in Hamilton now and a decision is likely to be made in September. Now you came, as Michael said earlier, under budget and on time in Glasgow. So you you know that you have to be transparent with the public to take them with you, don't you, to get them on board?
1: Absolutely. Yep, it, it, it has to be, uh, you know, public led and that's, the, that's exactly the point and that's why enrolling the local city council um, and and the local municipality uh, and, their, and their constituent bodies is just absolutely critical. So they can shape, and really what this Hamilton 2026 bid team has offered is the opportunity to shape these games, to reinvent these games in Hamilton and to make choices on where do we want to accelerate uh, regeneration? Where do we want to uh, invest in, in, in capital uh, developments? Uh, and that's the stage we're at right now. They, they have created a number of options based on the sports program they're looking to deliver um, and their games concept. And now the next step is enrolling both the city council and engaging the, the citizens within these communities to make some choices about if we're gonna host these games, this is the best uh, area for investment right now. And whether that investment comes from uh, private, uh, the private sector, the public sector, the province or, or the federal government um, or, or the local uh, taxpayers themselves, that's almost the secondary uh, element to really deciding what do we need now? Um, and how can these games help us accelerate uh, those uh, those efforts both you know both the both the needs and the demands um you know need to need to be balanced but this is really critical part of it of of, of ensuring that people are vested um and and maintain their 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 longer term interest through something that is inevitably uh disruptive for a while but has enormous benefit. And we've seen it in Manchester. We've seen it in Glasgow. We've seen it in Birmingham. and We've seen it in, in, in Gold Coast. And we've seen it in India. You know, I mean, you look at the legacy of the Delhi 2010 games, um, and we're going on our 10-year anniversary. Dame Louise and I uh, went back to India last year. Uh, and, it, you know, the, 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 the legacy is alive and well from the uh, Delhi 2010 Commonwealth games as well.
2: You're listening to Great British Bosses from Anything But Footy. We're speaking to David Grevenberg, the man in charge of delivering the Commonwealth Games from the Commonwealth Games Federation. So, David, as we begin then to talk about your career, I have a suggestion for you. You need to get a delegation from Glasgow across to Hamilton because the Glaswegians and the Scots felt their games were, to quote them, pure, dead, brilliant. And that's a phrase (laughs) that you will remember well because they were the games you delivered, of course.
1: Yeah, no. I was, I was uh, really one of the, the, the greatest and proudest moments of uh, that I uh, that I've been uh, a part of, and uh, you know, I, I felt so privileged to have fulfilled the role that I had the opportunity to fulfill, but but also to really become vested and and um, you know and embrace and be embraced by a wonderful city and, 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 and region.
0: Is it home still, David?
1: Very much so. <laughs> yes, I've, I've, uh, I like to say I've, I've, I've raised two wee Scots now. Um, I, uh, so both my children are uh, j- just, my, my son's just finished high school, and my, my daughter's um, um, just in going into her fourth year this year. Um, and this is very much home. Um, and uh, we'll say we're both born in Germany. And despite my nationality being American, um, they've lived their entire lives uh, uh, you know, between Germany and and the UK, but the majority of their life here in in Scotland. So it's very much home.
0: How did you get to Glasgow? Talk us through it from your your childhood in in New Orleans to wrestling, kind of wrestling, a, a wrestler, and 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 yep. missing out on on the Olympics yourself as well. Talk us through that. Uh,
1: yeah, I, it's a, it was an interesting uh, it was an interesting journey. Um, I. Uh, you know, I was born and raised in inner city New Orleans, um, and uh, I uh, went to New Orleans public school for, for, for years, and then I, I went to the private school uh, out in the suburbs, and um, you know, for those who are maybe less familiar with New Orleans, um, we, we have, uh, you know, wonderful, beautiful scenery and, uh, you know, gorgeous uh, architecture. But we also have some of the most deprived and, and uh, uh, poorest communities in, in the country, um, and uh, some some people witnessed that or, or had the opportunity to to see it firsthand with uh, with uh, you know Katrina. Um, but growing up, uh, you know, growing up in in New Orleans, um, it was a city that used the World's Fair in 1984 to redefine itself. And I remember, um, as a as a as a boy, you know, we we, we had the the worst um, uh, public schools in the in the country. the the, the, the at that time uh, the literacy rate was the worst of the country. Heart disease capital, um, and we had also we had the homicide rate, uh, the highest homicide rate. So it was it's a tough city, um, and a city that was kind of uh, kind of knocked off its feet. The World's Fair came in 1984. And gave the city a real vibe, and the city started to change itself and what that and what that really did for for me was made, made me realize wow, and a, one event um, could make us feel good about ourselves, created some of the proudest moments uh, of uh, you know of my childhood you know in, in terms of experiencing new cultures and um, you know and looking at the, the the pride of our our own city and what we actually what we had versus what we didn't have, um, and that's and sport played a major part in that as well. So, um, and, and to 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 make a long story short, uh, <laughs> wrestling uh, was my sport of choice. I did American football, I did track, I did uh, swimming um, uh, for a bit, but uh, wrestling I just uh, excelled at. Uh, did did well enough to to get a, a collegiate scholarship. Um, and uh, wrestled uh, in, in college. Wrestled internationally. Went out for the Olympic trials in uh, in '92 um, and uh, lost to uh, the inevitable bronze medalist uh, Chris Campbell <laughs> uh, for, for, for for the Olympics. And then tried again for '96. Did very well at the U.S. International Open. Um, took uh, first at the International Open. Uh, was on my was on my my way. Um, and uh, had a career-ending injury on my on my my knee, and uh, which grounded me. Um, so here I was, uh, aspiring, inspiring, and then diving, <laughs> and that uh, that uh, instead of thriving, so I retired uh, and went into sport, uh, went into my my uh, area of study, which was sports management, and uh, worked with the U.S. Olympic Committee. Um, worked uh, in the lead-up uh, to the Olympics and the Paralympics um, in 1996, um, helped uh, create the first, um, the very first uh, high-performance plan uh, for uh, U.S. Paralympic team uh, with, you know, with uh, really sport-specific qualification criteria, and started to work very closely with the Paralympic movement from that part, point forward. Also had the opportunity. um, So after uh, Atlanta, um, I also started my own business and went back to school at the same time and started to do consulting. And so I represented a number of athletes, worked through the Goodwill Games, uh, uh, a number of events in the lead up to uh, Sydney. And in 1999, um, I was approached by the International Paralympic Committee to help open up their world headquarters in Bonn, Germany, um, and uh, went in as their sports director and served for 10 and a half years uh, through the creation of the IOC-IPC agreements and the, the first uh, integration or, or inclusion of full medal um, events uh, in the Commonwealth Games in Manchester and uh, and many, many other world championships and, and uh, Paralympic games later. I decided after traveling 160 days a year on the road um, that in 2009, um, I was going to look for other opportunities, which uh, which brought me to Glasgow. And I came in as the director of operations, served uh, a few months later, I was made the chief operating officer and, and eventually uh, was appointed to the role of uh, chief executive officer. So. Um, and, you know, an American running the Commonwealth Games in Scotland, uh, you know, taught me a lot about myself um, and about, uh, you know, the work that I do and, uh, and, and inevitably uh, made me fall in love with the Commonwealth sports movement as well.
0: You mentioned there about traveling, David. I mean, lockdown, you've obviously been uh, stuck. How, how's the
1: Wi-Fi been? Yeah, well, let, me, let let's put it this way. I haven't been this grounded probably since high school. So, <laughs> this is uh, this is uh, the first really the first time uh, that uh, that I um, have not been moving not only on a, a weekly basis but on you know whether a monthly basis. Um, it's been uh, you know I, I can I can definitely empathize with Zoom fatigue, um, and I'm working uh, much longer. Uh, and dare I say, even harder. Um, and so I, I do think uh, you know someone said it best uh, when they said, "You're not uh, you're not working from home; you're living at work." <laughs> so I think it's <laughs> and and, it, and that's and that is the way it feels some days. I, I've, I've found it you know quite uh, quite hard to separate from work, um, and particularly when you're you're working uh, in in such a global. Um, organization um, and the global nature of the work that we do, Um, you know, when you're going to bed, someone's waking up and, you know, um, or when you're, uh, when you're waking up, someone's going to bed. So having to juggle uh, and be accommodating, um, respectful, um, and, you know, exercising your duty of care for your team and for your staff has been something that, uh, you know, has really been kind of the top priority. Um, But yes, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to some vacation time in the, in the near future.
2: We're going to finish up, David, speaking about some of the issues, some of the challenges around Birmingham 2022. I want to talk to you about venues and diversity, for example. But just one more question on, on you and, and your career. You mentioned an American coming into the Commonwealth and being based in Scotland. Is it a case then that you bring your... American ethos and values and try and impose that on the Scottish organizing committee and now in your role at the CGF, or do you just have to kind of adopt some of their
1: principles and some of their ways of working? It's a great question. Um, I I would say probably many people tell me I'm I'm not your typical American, (laughs) whatever that means, but, uh, you know, I've been outside the States for, um, many, many years. I mean, almost, uh, almost 20, 21 years now. And uh, what, one of the things I try to do is, is to give kind of the social license to everyone I work with to challenge me if they ever feel that I'm imposing values um, on others. Um, because I think it's important that teams collectively establish what they value and the values they seek to uphold. And in the case of the Commonwealth uh, Games Federation, um, you know, it was it was actually quite easy. Humanity, equality, destiny. Uh, in terms of, we value people, we value access and inclusion, um, and and thus equality, uh, and we uh, value destiny, which is uh, you know, collectively we want to unleash. Um, People's full potential to achieve their ambitions and aspirations. Um, From that standpoint, you know those are very. We we have found that those are very universal. But you know what I've tried to do is is to adopt um, the values uh, locally, um, understand what those values help people articulate them, um, and, and also establish the right culture to actually be able to li- live out the character and the personality that, that are underpinned by those values. And culture is something I really probably work on um, more on establishing the right culture in organizations. Um, you know, I think sport has suffered uh, because of uh, an over-dependency on patriarchal uh, hierarchies.
2: I was going to say, so when you talk about values there and you've got the Commonwealth, which is such a diverse selection of countries and, and territories, how much of a, an error of judgment then was it that the, the board of Birmingham in 2022 didn't reflect that really?
1: Yeah, I think uh, you know, probably our, our biggest regret <laughs> is not being more prescriptive on equality, diversity and inclusivity, which uh, we've made a commitment uh, now um because you know the games were sold to us uh very much on uh, the notion of, of, of the diversity of birmingham and that was you know we said this is this is the commonwealth city you know dame louise was was very outspoken on that so that was uh certainly a regret that we didn't uh, we weren't more prescriptive um in in our host city contract uh, i can tell you we will be for the future um but uh, it's also how we can, these, these constructs of governance are very representative of uh, each of the different organizations that uh, contribute. So we have some members at large or independent members which are selected and, and in this case, many of them have been selected through, uh, through DCMS and, and government. Um, and, and then you have the Institutional representatives. So the fact that Dame Louise and I uh, were the representatives, the CEO and the president, for uh, on the, on the Birmingham board, we made a decision, um, which we had been talking about for some time, to ensure some diversity um, on this board in terms of thought, in terms of uh, voice, um, and experience. Um, that uh, we needed to make a change. Um, and uh, Dame Louise uh, took the leadership position and, and, of course, resigned from the board. And our colleague Sandra Osborne from Barbados uh, has, has taken on that role and uh, she'll add a tremendous uh, amount of experience and, and uh, perspective.
2: So, final question then, David will, will Birmingham be ready? Will the Alexander Stadium be built? Will the Sanwell Aquatic Centre? Be fit for purpose, and will Birmingham host a good Games in 2022?
1: I think Birmingham is going to host a, a fantastic Games. Um, I think uh, you know, the legacies that uh, we've sought to create there are, are still very much in the priority of uh, of the of the delivery partnership. Um, we're doing everything we can to 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 support. Uh, you know, obviously the bricks and mortar but this is a huge opportunity to bring, uh, you know, bring this community together. Um, there is work to be done, um, but it's also an enormous opportunity for us to, you know, address the, 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 the future brand of the Commonwealth and to showcase ourselves as a, a really progressive movement uh, for change, uh, for social change that uh, upholds peace, sustainability and prosperity. And not just on esoteric terms, but actual tangible results. And uh, we have, I think you'll see a number of areas of impact and uh, and measurable results that that really speak to each one of those areas um, during this very difficult time.
2: So yes or no, the CGF is relevant, will stay relevant, and will celebrate its 100th birthday and continue to go from strength to strength.
1: Most definitely. I think we're we're more relevant uh, than ever before, uh, simply because, because of our demographics our geography that we represent and of course our shared history
2: well david grevenberg the chief executive of the commonwealth games federation thank you so much for your time in speaking thank to you. anything but footy and great british bosses
0: sports social podcast network
1: okay round two name something that's not boring
0: a laundry oh a book club